So this is the time of year when in Thailand the Sangha and laity gather to remember our teacher, Anjan Chah. It's a good occasion to recollect not only his life and practice, but the way of practice that he encouraged us to keep up as disciples of Venerable Ajahn Chah. You might say his system of training. When Lumpur Chah would give talks to the Sangha, over and over again he would emphasize the Vinaya as the foundation of our practice, the upkeep of Vinaya training rules based on the Patimoka, but also all the other rules external to the Patimoka to do with showing respect for preceptor and teacher, receiving visiting monks, looking after the monastic buildings and grounds, looking after our requisites and so on. He used the teachings of the Vinaya and the ways of training as a tool for bringing up mindfulness in daily life. When we follow the Vinaya, we're mostly having to keep an eye on our own external behavior, our speech, our actions. We have to learn to restrain the most extreme excesses of our kilesa, greed, anger and delusion, by bringing up more mindfulness, more composure, more restraint in daily life in order to follow the rules of training. By bringing up more mindfulness of our speech, our actions, this helps us to live as a community, whether it's just one or two monks or many monks. We obviously have to be aware of our speech, our actions every day and be reflecting on them to see whether we're following the Vinaya, keeping the rules, attending meetings, following the practices, the ways of monastic training that we have. This brings up harmony because <clears throat> the Vinaya covers everybody, similar standard, standard of behavior. And it's for supporting harmonious conditions in the Sangha so that each individual can develop now and meditation practice from that. So 
that means we have to constantly be reflecting back on ourselves to see whether we're still following the Vinaya rules, remembering them, following them. If we are, then naturally our involvement with other people should become smoother and easier. The sense of harmony with others will be stronger. As we chant in the Karaniya Matta Sutta, the Buddha's words on loving kindness, we talk about being humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Again, over and over, Ajahn Chah would emphasize humility as the starting point for our practice. Because we're monastics, we're living based, our living is based on the faith and the goodwill of the lay supporters. We can't be one who demands a lot or expects a lot from the other members of the community or from the laity. <clears throat> We're here to practice for Marga Palanibbana and not for worldly aims. So constantly having to be reminding ourselves of that point, to be humble, humble and in the way we attend to the Vinaya training, humble, relating to teachers and other Sangha members, even humble relating to the laity. We're not somebody who can demand a lot from the world. We're not in that position as samanas, as monks, because we're dependent on other people's charity. And to keep the rules of training, we have to be humble because we can't just follow our views and opinions and preferences on everything like we did as lay people. Sometimes we have to set them aside for what is right according to Vinaya. So training rules, what we say, what we do. But there's a benefit from this, there's something we gain, and that's we gain self-control learn to master our own mind, training our speech and our actions brings us mastery of our mind which lies behind our speech and actions and we gain contentment, peace of mind because with greater mastery and self-control we won't be creating negative karma, the causes of suffering and we'll be careful in how we live and always have one eye or one mind turned to seeing the dangers of unheedful behavior, care, careless behavior. The more we practice with the Vinaya, the more we appreciate it as a useful friend, a tool that keeps us peaceful inside, helps us to live at ease, whether we're on our own or with others. And it brings a sense of personal responsibility. We become aware that our own suffering we create ourselves through our own actions. There's no one else we can really blame. 
in the beginning we practice with the Vinaya, it's often the case that as we learn the rules, we can't help watch other people around us. And sometimes we become critical, have ill will when we see other people at fault or not keeping the rules as well as us. So we also have to watch that, that habit become, can become a hindrance in meditation. The mind that criticizes others. Learn how to learn how to be more tolerant towards others, but then turn the attention back to ourselves and see how well we're keeping the Vinaya, rather than always looking outwards and judging others. The Vinaya is also training us to turn away from sensuality. It's developing the Nekama parami or Nekama sankapa the right thoughts, the right attitudes that are leading away from sensual attachment. So we're practicing celibacy and we don't handle money, we don't have a lot of possessions or seek a lot of entertainments or distractions. So it's naturally guiding the mind back on itself rather than looking outwards for external sources of pleasure. We're looking more internally letting go of that old habit. So the Vinaya is helping us to both develop harmonious relations with others, peace, calm, and then also turning away from sensuality. And these two qualities support the practice of meditation. And the Vinaya helps us just to develop basic mindfulness in daily life. Awareness of what I'm doing now and in clear comprehension, understanding what you're doing at different times of the day, different moments in your day. Knowing what your duty is, what your responsibility is. It's bringing the mind to the present moment, the Pachubana Dhamma. And Ajahn Chah always said, this is how your practice will deepen, your samadhi will deepen, your understanding of the deeper truths of anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, not self. This will come out of the practice and development of the Pachubana Dhamma, mindfulness in the present moment. And we begin that with the Vinaya training, mindful of putting on the robes, using the bowl, coming and going. <clears throat> Just learning to bow with mindfulness as we come into the hall or we leave the hall, go to our kuti, leave our kuti. As we bow with mindfulness, we're recollecting the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. Brings up wholesome states of mind. All these aspects of our daily life are vehicles for developing mindfulness and the Pachubana Dhamma. And these moments of mindfulness start to join up, become more continuous. And that's where the firmness and the peace of Samadhi starts to arise. Because we're using not only the formal meditation technique, sitting and walking, but also the daily life of a monk 
to develop mindfulness continuously. Now obviously sometimes it's difficult, especially in the beginning. We have lots of mood swings, mood changes, emotions come up. Sometimes we have to disregard our preferences and desires and follow the vinaya, follow the routine rather than what our mind wants to do. So we have to learn to at least have the mindfulness to work with our speech, our actions, even if internally our mind is not yet peaceful. But as we use the Vinaya to develop mindfulness, you also start to have enough strength of mind and clarity to see your own moods, see them as impermanent, see them as not self, meaning just see them as conditions of mind that come and go, that can be let go of, we don't have to follow them or indulge them all. That insight starts to arise through the Vinaya training. And so maybe on the outside we don't display anything, but on the inside we might still have some suffering arise. But we have the restraint and the composure to manage it. So it comes up, we know it, but we let it go again with mindfulness. And obviously that practice becomes more refined as we develop sitting and walking meditation. You learn to practice refined states of mindfulness based on the breath, and walking meditation with Bhutto, or just contemplating an Ichidukanata. We can go into our own mind in ever more refined two ever more refined levels to see the impermanence of our own mental states, <clears throat> the impermanence of feelings, memories, sense consciousness. Our six senses become our teachers and we see things and hear things. They stir up a reaction of pleasure or displeasure but as we improve our mindfulness, we just see that impermanent states of mind rather than holding on, grasping at the reaction. These six teachers are six senses and they're bringing us information based on karma. Sometimes the fruits of our good karma bring us pleasant sensations. Sometimes the fruits of our karma bring us unpleasant sensations, pain. But when we establish mindfulness, it's all just food for contemplation. There are teachers, all the sense data coming to us, just teaching us where our attachments are, where we have to let go. And Jen Chao said, as long as you're thinking correctly, you'll be able to let go and it won't cause you any suffering. Even if you're in an unpleasant situation, you think correctly, establish right view, you'll be able to let go with mindfulness, with wisdom. But when mindfulness is short, then of course we'll hold on and the mind will get caught into a turmoil, agitated, not peaceful, and think a lot over and over again. 
Sometimes that's all we can do is just be patient with our own reactions, the turmoil going on, but just patiently establish enough mindfulness to at least know it and know, oh, now I'm not peaceful. Yesterday I was peaceful, today I'm not. Even that, you can learn something from that. And just the wholesome effort to establish mindfulness when the mind is not peaceful is still something very, very special. It's still what we call building barami. But in the end we have to develop a sharpness of mind, sharpness of mindfulness to catch our own craving and attachments as they arise. And that comes through the whole practice, the vinaya, the development of samadhi and the development of insight through contemplation. You notice when you develop some mindfulness, you become sharper, more aware of yourself, what you're thinking, what you're doing. You start to guard over the mind so it doesn't fall into unwholesome states. And Jen Chao said this <clears throat> process of guarding over the mind that the meditators developing, he compared it to the farmers in northeast Thailand looking after their buffalo. They, let, they take the buffalo out to the fields to graze, but because they're growing rice, there's some areas they don't want the buffaloes to go because they need the rice to grow so they can harvest it. But the rice is attractive to the buffalo. So the buffalo's desire is always to go towards the rice. And when the farmer sees the buffalo moving that way, he shouts at it. And it moves back to the ordinary grass where it's been told to graze. <coughs> as long as the farmer is careful and vigilant, he just has to say a few words and the buffalo stays away from the new rice plants. But if the farmer is lazy or careless, then all the rice plants will get eaten. And Jen Chah said, our practice is like that. We have to keep vigilant, keep being careful with our mind, whatever's going on, whatever the posture. And if you see your mind straying towards defilements, sensual desire or lust, anger, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness, doubt, you have to shout at it like you shout at the buffalo and give it a few stern words to t pull it away from its habit of following the hindrances and getting stuck on the hindrances. Bring it back to the breath, to butho, so you can let go and continue with your practice. If you become lazy, then you start to indulge the hindrances, then the level of the mind goes down and the level of confusion and suffering will go up and you won't find it a very good result. <clears throat> if you're bothered by lust or sensual desire, you always said, well, just practice seeing yourself or others as a corpse. Develop that perception. See this body as a corpse. Go through the parts of it. Imagine it aging, dying, what a corp your own corpse would look like once you die. How it decomposes. Really use your imagination and your mindfulness to investigate that, become clear that this body is impermanent, unattractive, 
It's not self. It won't last. If it's ill will, they'll keep bringing up the perception of goodwill and compassion, tolerance, patience. Keep working with that till you can let go of your habit of ill will. If it's doubt about the, the teachings of the practice, we'll keep learning Dhamma, read Dhamma, ask questions, and then reflect on the Dhamma. Bring up some wisdom so you can really understand the purpose of the practice and why we're doing it. Then you'll feel more confident and your doubts won't bother you. In the end, doubt is just doubt. It's just another mental state that arises, passes away. And we can know doubt with mindfulness. We know it as doubt and let go. So all the hindrances will come up, but we're learning to develop the sharpness of mindfulness, the clarity, the peace of samadhi, and then investigating with wisdom to let them go. And we'll get better at it if we keep practicing. It's a matter of experience and continuous effort in the practice. And little by little, with the skill, you get better at it so it's easier. You feel better inside and the hindrances, the kilesas don't bother you so much. So I'll just give you these few words of encouragement tonight. Carry on practicing till about eight o'clock and then we'll chant the Puritas. <laughs> 